Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. High tech. Low tech. Or no tech. Through our hobbies and our passions, the geek comes out in us all. The world's of geekdom. I am a geek and I'm proud of it. Geeks. Geeks. Unite. Well, let's get those nerds! Nerds! No! Did you just call me a nerd? Not all geeks are nerds. Yeah. This is Geek Therapy Radio. Mental curator Johnny Hamburger. Welcome to Geek Therapy Radio. I am twitching in my britches this week again, as I always do when I have very special guests on the show. I have a reoccurring guest today. You can call him a friend of the show, David Murray, the 8 bit guy. I'm super duper stoked to have him back on the show because. You may remember from our previous episode uh, a few months ago that he was he has developed a game and now he is taking it even further onto even more platforms and he has a crowdfunding campaign going on uh, for his game. Uh, but that being said, David, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. So what is the name of your game? And uh, just to recap for listeners who are new, who um, or what's the game called and what was it uh, first initially released on? <laughs> well, um, it's actually, it was originally released on the Commodore VIC-20, uh, kind of as a prototype, uh, I called it Planet X-1, but I never really finished the game there. And um, the uh, first real iteration of the game was on the Commodore 64, and it was called Planet X-2, and uh, I wanted to create a, a real-time strategy game for these, you know, 8-bit older machines. Mm-hmm. And, um, well, what I'm working on now, of course, is the MS-DOS. I'm going to call it a sequel. I was calling it a port for a while, but it's, it's really a sequel because it's, it's including a lot more features and it's a lot more complex than the, um, than the Commodore version was. So, yeah. uh, uh, but anyway, yeah, that's what I'm working on now. Well, great. Is there any way that uh, listeners can go... Did you do a YouTube video on your on programming it for the uh, VIC-20? If someone wanted to go and watch this thing from the beginning, uh, do you have a video about that for the VIC-20? Um, well, no, but I did show it, and I did a full video on the Commodore 64 version, and in the very beginning of that video, I talked a little bit about the VIC-20 version and showed what it looked like and whatnot, so you can see it from there. So so what were some of the challenges? That's really cool. I did, I did see the... Uh, you you titled it or you you described it as sort of a promotional video uh, for your game. It that it, I'm guessing that's what you're running on your uh, crowdfunding page. What which crowdfunding site is it? GoFundMe or Indiegogo? It's Where is Kickstarter. it? Kickstarter. So it's on Kickstarter. Um, I was gonna I was gonna ask. It's kind of a separate side note for those who don't know who the eight bit guy is. He is like guru god um maybe less than a god but more than a man definitely at uh repairing and programming 8-bit computers and you did a video recently of um 
repairing was it a Vic twenty that you that someone found at a yard sale that was covered in like engine oil and grease and stuff? Right. Can you tell yeah. tell yeah. us what what makes you is that the is that the worst piece of gear that you've ever brought back to life, would you say? Um, yeah, yeah, I would definitely say <laughs> definitely say it was in the worst condition. Well, yeah. I mean, I've seen computers in worse condition, but I didn't attempt to restore those. <laughs> so the the, the normal I say the normal person who would see uh, a computer, let alone a Vic Twenty, in the condition that you restored, if they saw it sitting there at the garage sale or in the dumpster or wherever, nobody. I'll just say it: nobody in the right mind would think that they can restore it. So the fact that you did was 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 miraculous and one of my uh co-workers actually one of the the news anchors he came in here he goes did you see the Apid guys video restoring that vic 20 he's a magician it's crazy uh for listeners who who haven't seen the video yet what what sort of state would was was this vic 20 in like just to just to paint a picture here on the radio to so listeners know what you brought back to life what kind of state you know, was that Vic 20 in? Well, um, <laughs> I think it was used in some kind of production or industrial type environment, probably, I'm guessing is to control some machinery or something like that, probably back during the 1980s or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it was covered in dirt and grime and dust and oil. And uh, there was no, like, it didn't look like somebody had just taken oil and poured on it. It was more like it was near something where oil was just kind of permeated in the air a lot. Like, maybe it was next to a piece of machine that kind of spit it out, like, maybe a little bit of, you know, yeah. fog of oil, yeah. you know, coming from it over a long period of time. Particulates. It had, it had seeped into the keys, into the motherboard, into everything inside of the computer was covered in that oil and dirt. <laughs> yeah. And there was keys broken off the keyboard. There were burn marks in the front, like somebody had taken some hot piece of metal or something and rubbed it across front. And there were like these gouged burn marks and stuff, which I managed to file that back into <laughs> some kind of condition. It's crazy that you were able to revive that uh, Vic 20 because I think the normal person would see all the oil over it and think that for sure the board had short-circuited. Did you come across any of that on the actual circuit board? Well, it did have a problem with the board, but it was just a bad RAM chip. There was a, I, actually, that's that's one of the things, you know, when I looked at it, I, I guess because I've worked on cars before, I know that oil is not as difficult to remove as, <laughs> as it might look, especially when it's still somewhat liquid like, like it was on the board. I mean, I just used some brake cleaner, and it just just came right, you know, cleared it right off. Yeah. Uh, that That wasn't much of a problem. So, um, but yeah, I did take some time to troubleshoot the board, though. You you trouble? I saw that you troubleshot the board. Um, how long did that take? Like a few hours? Would you say you tested pretty much pretty much every path in that board, didn't you? Yeah, I probably spent at least a day and a half uh, troubleshooting that board, and that one was more difficult than most. Um, you know, I've repaired a lot of of computers and. I don't know. Usually, the 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 problem is more easy to identify than than it was on this one. So it was pretty challenging, but it ended up just being a bad RAM chip. Well, you are a miracle worker, David. I want to get back to back to the game because that's what I wanted to have you on the show for. I wanted you to, be able to plug it and do everything like that. What state of development is the game right now? Well, um, it's somewhat playable. Uh, you can't actually win the game or lose the game yet because the um, 
you know, it is a real-time strategy game, and I haven't coded any of the AI routines for the enemy yet. I'm still trying to finish all of the player controls and player units and having them do the things that they're supposed to do. But it's pretty far in development. I mean, you can literally sit down and play it for 10 or 15 minutes before you kind of run into an issue of a, gee, you know, what do I do now? Because there's no enemy to fight. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, it's it's pretty far. It- um it's it's all still working in CGA mode, which uh, but I am supporting the 16 color CGA and Tandy mode. So uh, a lot of people aren't familiar with that mode. Pretty, uh, but but it looks pretty good even mm-hmm. on CGA. I have not started working on the VGA version, which is what everybody wanted from the beginning. But uh, when I started this game, I you know I I looked at the plethora of IBM compatible machines, you know, when they first came out all the way to when they died out. You're looking at like a 15-year span, and mm-hmm. and it seems like the, there aren't that many DOS games coming out today, and the ones that are tend to target the, the what I would call the higher-end DOS machines, and, yeah. and um, I really wanted to target those originally, you know, like the IBM XT and, and, and Tandy 1000 machines and, and those yes. machines from the early to mid-1980s, so... Yes. Uh, that's why I was um, I'm shooting for the CGA version first because I wanted to make sure the game was completely and totally playable in CGA with a 4.77 megahertz uh, processor. Right. And then, of course, uh, you know, naturally I wanted to work on the the higher end machines as well. So I'll try to add in some some features for those to make the playing experience a little bit more enhanced. But uh, I definitely wanted to make sure that the full game was playable to its fullest extent, even on the low end machines. Yeah. What um I'm I'm sure you know of this game Retro City Rampage, D, D, is it Retro City Rampage DX or whatever. Do you know what I'm talking about the DOS game? Uh, you know I've heard of that. I'm not sure I've seen it. I think it, I think the guy actually put, it's a it's one of those retro eight bit looking games. It wasn't first developed to be eight bit. It was developed for PC and you know had all sorts of flashy. I don't know what what we call it layers on it. It it look it just looks retro, but it's not actually eight bit. But the developer uh, actually ported it to DOS, and to my knowledge, and listeners, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, if there's a comment section below whatever podcast app you're listening to this on, uh, I don't think that comes in a CGA mode. So what David is saying is that if you want a, a true. Uh, Old school, but but well, like a modern developed old school uh, DOS game, basically, and other eight bit, you know, uh, less powerful computers. David's got you covered on that. David, is there a a playable version of this that people can uh, can check out, like the new version you're working on? No, I've not made it uh, publicly available yet. I I figure I would finish the game first. Yeah, that what a novel idea. I, I hope game developers, I hope Capcom is freaking listening. Releasing a game when it's finished? That's crazy. You mean you mean there's no uh you can't you can't uh, buy the beta, pay good money for the beta and then download the actual uh alpha, you know, the the final product when it's done version 000.1 only to have it broken and have spent $60 on it? Are you telling me David that you want to finish the game and have it be good before you want to sell it? Well, I'm kind of uh, I don't really have much choice on the matter actually because <laughs> the fact that I have promoted this on Kickstarter, I've I've already got like $90,000 worth of orders sitting here that I'm basically required to fill. I think if I don't give people a completed game, they're uh, not going to be too happy with me and since there's not going to be any kind of updates yeah. You know, I can't just, um, these are on floppy disk, right? I can't just send out some. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Kind of, oh, yeah, just download the latest patch or whatever. Now, I can't do that. So it's right. going to be finished and completed and working and bug-free <laughs> yeah. uh, when it goes out. So, yeah. What a, what a novel idea. One uh, last thing real quick, David, before I let you plug, uh, just do the official plug. Have you heard any of this... Um, quote-unquote scam talk about the Atari VCS. Do you have anything to weigh in on that? Do you know what I'm talking about? The Atari VCS? Yeah, they, the uh, Atari announced the VCS uh, console, and people on the internet were saying, oh, it's a scam. Atari's just scamming us. They they reached like a $3 million. They needed a couple hundred thousand dollars on a they're on Indiegogo, and they got $3 million, and there's some big hoobaloo over the game footage that they used in the promotional video, and uh, I guess if you haven't seen it yet, then there's not much point. <laughs> well, uh, so when you said the VCS, I was thinking of the original Atari 2600, because that's that's what it was called. Now, I knew, I've seen these little pictures floating around on social media about this new Atari console that I, I didn't know they were calling it the VCS. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, um, I, I'm I haven't really read any of the controversy on that. I mean, I saw the picture and I was just kind of like, yeah, that's going to be fail- a failed product. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I, I would tend to agree to some point. I, I wish it all the best in the world, but we have so many devices and consoles like that now. Like, the Atari VCS really has its... Uh, has its work cut out for it. It's going to need some great like first-party games, first-party you know, party exclusives for it to even hope to work. Um, I don't think that Atari is scamming us. That's not to say that I don't think that somewhere along the line, even with $3 million of backing, that it might not, it, that it might fail at some point. It could or could not. Atari has tried over the past few years to release a console to us to uh, very little effect. So, all I can say about Atari VCS is I wish it all the luck in the world, but I don't think Atari is initially trying to scam us. David? Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, kind of, that's kind of my opinion. Uh, and again, I haven't done a lot of research on the product, but when I first saw it, my very first thought was, well, you know, you've already got the Xbox and, the, and, and Nintendo and, and the PlayStation, and, mm-hmm. and the, then, of course, you've got PC games. And so the market's kind of already well saturated at this point. So if Atari's going to come in with a new game console, they're going to have to offer something that nothing, no, none of the game consoles offered. I just, I don't think that they're going to. I mean, there's not much left you can really add to a game console these days. So, uh, you know, not only that, now you've got to compete with um, Apple, you know, and and Android devices, and uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just don't know that there's any room for another gaming platform unless it were. You know, I mean, I've had ideas for a gaming platform, but it would be, uh, you know, like a retro gaming platform. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, it would be a very niche audience, but, you know, it wouldn't cost near as much to design and manufacture either. <laughs> maybe maybe your next, after this uh, crowdfunding goes well, maybe you could develop some sort of console like that. Is that an idea? Is that a little spark in your brain, maybe? Well, so I've, I've actually discussed this with, with quite a few people. The problem is I, I literally don't have the skills. Um, I know a lot of people think, like you said, like I'm an 8-bit god. And I, and I do know how to program these machines. I know how they work pretty well, but yeah. I'm not very good at electronics design work. Yeah. And that would take um, that would take quite a bit of 
uh, either I'd have to go to school or do a serious amount of self-teaching in order to to figure out how to do that. <laughs> but I do have some good ideas for for a product, so yeah, definitely. Then, yeah, so we're not saying definitely here on Geek Therapy Radio that that's definitely in the works, but you know, you're saying that you wouldn't, you know, thumbs down the idea if you teamed up with somebody who could help make it happen, probably. Yeah, yeah, that's, it's worth discussing. That'll be accurate. Yeah, it's worth discussing. David, one last time, uh, plug your game, tell everybody uh, what it's called and where they can go to help you make it a reality. <laughs> okay, well, um, yeah, so it's called Planet X3. It is a real-time strategy game, but it's, uh, you know, I like to compare it sometimes to StarCraft, but mostly just to say how it's different from StarCraft, because <laughs> that's a game that people are familiar with. But it is a sci-fi type um, real-time strategy game. You uh, it is played primarily with a keyboard, and it is, of course, for MS-DOS. It runs on uh, hopefully any MS-DOS computer. That's the goal, uh, including the original IBM PC 5150. Mm. <laughs> um, it, uh, let's see, what else can I say about it? Um, well, it is, it's, uh, it's already been funded on Kickstarter. Um, I only needed $30,000 to fund the game, and it's actually over 90000 at this point. Wow. So I've still got like 20 days left to go. So I think that uh, I don't really need to worry about getting it funded. But if you do want to get in on an early copy, um, then you know you might want to uh, go uh, put in your order. Because uh, one of the problems I ran into with Planet X2 for the Commodore 64 was I did not do any kind of crowdfunding on that. And so I kind of had to reach into my own pocket in order to get the boxes and materials and labels and manuals and all that kind of stuff uh, yeah. printed for the game. And unfortunately what happened is, is I kind of underestimated the demand for it and so I sold all, all 500 copies like within the first week mm-hmm. and then you know you might say well just order more well uh, the problem was I, I was kind of faced with a scenario where I don't you know there's a minimum quantity you have to order on these things in order to get bulk production yeah. and bulk production prices and I just I didn't feel like I could sell another 500 of that game and so I just I, I haven't had any more box games to sell and so um, that was the reason I did the crowdfunding here was because that way I would know for sure up front exactly how many to order. That way everybody that wants one can get one. Yeah. And um, so I'll try to order a few extra, hopefully, so I can sell, um, you know, when it's, uh, when it's complete to anybody who didn't get on in the crowdfunding. But obviously I can't make any guarantees that there will be, um, you know, enough. So. Yeah. But but this time around, you do have the uh, like the disc supplier and that kind of stuff kind of more figured out. Yeah, yeah. Um, actually, the, the floppy disks. Uh, that I, the problem I ran into on that with the uh, Commodore version was simply finding um, was finding floppy disks with blank sleeves <laughs> uh, because I can use yeah. any. You know, you can go on eBay and find tons of floppy disks, but a lot of them have like branded sleeves, like you know, Memorex or. BASF or, you know, right. Kodak or something like that, you know, and I didn't want to be able to use those, but I've actually found a manufacturer now who can print custom sleeves for me. So I'll probably just get some like 8-bit guy sleeves or something like that, and that way I can just buy generic um, five and a quarter inch floppies uh, online. And I've already got a, a big supply of the three and a half inch floppies because I'm going to be able to produce the game on both yeah. uh, both formats. So depending on how old your machine is, you hopefully will have a disc for each format. Absolutely. David, that's wonderful. It sounds like you got it. I mean, I can't say that everything is completely 100% figured out because this is business and, and things can happen, but it doesn't sound like it's going to happen in your case. So listeners, go visit... Uh, Go find Planet X3 on GoFundMe and and put uh, in your order. put in your order for it. 
Is that pretty good, David? Yeah, it's, it's, it's on Kickstarter, not GoFundMe. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Kickstarter. Why the heck was I thinking GoFundMe? Planet X3 on Kickstarter. Thank you, David, for, for correcting me there. David Murray, the ape guy, thank you so much for coming on Geek Therapy Radio. It was an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Well, thank you for having me. And listeners, Planet X3, Kickstarter, go look it up. Go get your... Uh, Go order your copy today. David, is there is there a timeline when you plan to start shipping? Well, on the Kickstarter, I said I gave myself a year, uh, so we're looking at you know May of, of 2019. However, I'm really actually hoping it'll be done before then, probably around Christmas time, if all goes well. <laughs> yeah. So, I'm, I'm sorry, I was getting out of the show, but I just have these ideas that keep popping into my head. One more time, David Murray, thank you so much for being on Geek Therapy Radio. All right, well, thank you for having me. Among Us doesn't love great beer, amazing food, and arcade games. That's why I'm stoked beyond geek belief to tell you about Kung Fu Saloon, located at 5317 Washington Avenue, right here in Houston. Kung Fu Saloon on Washington Avenue has the geek trinity covered, and then some. Of course, they have the most excellent beer on tap, the nommiest food off the grill, and the vintage arcade games we love. But you can also get your Tay-Tay on with karaoke, your super fan on with televised sports, and your rug cut to the best music and DJs on Washington Avenue. In addition to arcade games, get your competitive fix with Giant Jenga, Giant Connect 4, three skee-ball lanes, shuffleboard, and foosball. Get your drink, food, game, karaoke, and dance on. Or step to Street Fighter 2 with me and get your geek fanny served. Hadouken! Kung Fu Saloon, 5317 Washington Avenue. Visit www.kungfusaloonhouston.com for more details and dress code. Info. Welcome back to Geek Therapy Radio. I am, of course, still your mental curator, Johnny Hamburger. I hope you enjoyed that interview with David Murray. David Murray, creator of Planet X3, which you can go see more information about on the Kickstarter. Um, just search, go to Kickstarter and search Planet X3 or David Murray or any of those uh, modifiers, any of those names, and you'll find it. Better yet, you can go to The 8-Bit Guy on YouTube. Just type in The 8-Bit Guy there and subscribe to his YouTube channel. And if you are any sort of geek like me, even if you're not, let's say, so into... 8-bit programming or anything like that his he does things like clean up old keyboards and it doesn't sound exciting i know when i say that this this dude cleans up old computer keyboards sometimes that doesn't it obviously that's not like action-packed but for some reason it is so so satisfying when he takes this dingy old it's not crap. I was going to say crap. It's not crap. But these dingy old electronics, these dingy old keyboards, just a mundane office keyboard from back in the day or the 90s or the 80s or even before that, and he cleans the... With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. 
No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Them up. It's it. There's such a satisfaction watching him clean. He's sitting there scrubbing with his baking soda, and uh, he leaves the stuff out in the special solution out there in the Dallas sun. I think it's called Retro Bright. Um, plastics over time, white plastics over time, tend to get dingy and and a little bit yellowish or brownish. The way he brings these old electronics, all these old cases, these old plastics back to life, like I said, doesn't sound exciting, but it's you'll you'll sit there and you'll you'll just be drawn into it. It's so satisfying. I, I want to equate it kind of like mowing a lawn. You know when you're mowing a lawn, it's it's kind of long, and you mow, and then you get to look behind you and see that fresh cut strip that you just did? It's that sense of kind of working with your hands and seeing the results of your work, seeing the results of good work. That's the kind of satisfaction you get from these videos. And I'm just describing, again, something mundane like keyboards. But he does all sorts of other cool stuff. He... Uh, like I said, he's programming this game. He has Planet X1, X2, now X3. Um, he restores old like Commodore 64s and VIC-20s and Ataris and uh, all sorts of old 8-bit computers. And he builds computers. He gets these little projects from scratch. Like he'll order, like order things off eBay or somebody will give him just the circuit board and a bunch of components. And he'll put them together. He kind of downplays... He kind of downplays himself... You know, when he talks about, well, I need more training to do this. Or he, you know, we were talking in the last segment about maybe him releasing an, an 8-bit computer um, himself, some retro hardware himself using off-the-shelf components. And he says he needs more training to do that or take a course or a class. You know, that's probably true. But it's kind of, if you watch his videos, it, it would seem that he doesn't need the training because he is so, I, so good at putting old 8-bit computers together. And like I said, he gets these uh, these DIY these DIY uh, packages, I guess. It's just a circuit board and a bunch of components off the shelf. And he just builds computers. He, put, he solders the chips in there. Um, I'm sure there might be some soldering experts who might watch his video and have things to say, critiques, because you just can't escape that on YouTube. You cannot escape the YouTube comment section. There is always somebody who's going to to try to one-up you in the comments. Or insult you, or do something stupid, or whatever. And usually, have you noticed, I've talked about YouTube comments before, and I'll get back to Dave Marie in a second. Um, people usually, it's as is typical in YouTube comments, they'll get to a point in a video that uh, sets them off, that triggers them. Let's say it's a 10-minute video and they hear something three minutes in that pisses them off. They'll stop the video and make the comments about it and then they don't watch the rest of the video to hear that their issue is addressed. <laughs> I've made that mistake before. I'm not, I'm not impervious to the uh, premature commenting, let's just say, on, on YouTube. Uh... I haven't done it in a while. Usually, I've, like most adult humans who spend any amount of time on YouTube, they'll hear something that triggers them. Let's use me for an instance. I'll, I'll hear something that triggers me, or I want to say, actually, actually, this is the thing. But I, I've trained myself. Wait, let's hear the rest of this 
let's hear the rest of uh, the presentation here. And guess what? 99.999% of the time, the host addresses my issue adequately. Or at least says, you know, at least kind of has a little disclaimer. I, you know, I don't know everything about the subject. Maybe you can comment below and let us know, like, the what's really going on here. I did that with my Atari VCS video. In every video, all you listeners who listen to Geek Therapy Radio... Just on the show here, obviously this show is the podcast, and any, anywhere Geek Therapy winds up, it's an open invitation for the audience to get involved and help share good information. I am just one guy with the radio show. I am a geek who knows a little bit about a lot. So I cover lots of topics on Geek Therapy Radio. That doesn't mean that I'm an expert in every single topic I bring up. As a matter of fact, I'm happy that I'm not an expert because that means I get to learn so much. I have that joy of having my mind open and having discovery, being able to discover new things. So once again, reminder listeners, Geek Therapy Radio is all about coming together and sharing knowledge and information. There may be some things on this show that I say that aren't entirely accurate. So you are 100% welcome to shed constructive light on the subject. I welcome it. I love it. That's one that's one of the goals of this show is to spread useful information and create a community of sharing information because we're all geeks about something. We're not all geeks about everything. We're all geeks about some things, but together we're geeks about all things. Spreading that knowledge, finding new hobbies, finding new things to be interested in. Maybe you've listened to some episodes of Geek Therapy Radio and you you haven't checked in with Street Fighter 2 in a while. So you dust off your old Super Nintendo and you play Street Fighter 2 and now you're hooked on Street Fighter 2. Maybe you've actually gone out like it keeps telling you to go buy some Legos on your way home and you put together a little 30-piece Lego set and now you're hooked on Legos. Maybe you heard uh, that guy I had on a few weeks ago, um, Brooklyn Boy Knits, who is a knitter. He knits. Um, maybe it's gotten you, maybe you got some needles and some yarn and now you're, you're knitting. That's the whole point of the show, sharing information and finding out about new hobbies that maybe will bring you joy, maybe help you with what de- whatever depression you're going through, maybe you're going through a rough spot in life. Like I've said before on the show, and I didn't know this segment would turn into this, this is therapy now. Um, when I first got the show, it was shortly after, you know, I was divorced. And I've shared the the story about when I went to pitch the show to my bosses that when I woke up, I didn't even I didn't have a name for the show that day. The meeting was in an hour and I didn't have a name for the show, but it just kind of zapped me geek therapy radio because I thought, what is the show going to be for me? It, this is shortly after my divorce. My heart is shattered. What is going to help me? get through the days. Thank God I had hobbies. Thank God I love remote control airplanes. Thank God I love video games. Thank God I love computers. Um, I like art. I like music, making music, mixing music. But I knew that the radio show was going to be my new geek thing, that I would treat it with the same passion as I would treat getting into a new 
hobby about anything. And I still feel that way. Well, after the show has been on for more than a year, year and three months, year and four months. Where are we at now? I don't even know. What, what episode is this? 60 something? It's a lot of episodes. So I knew this, just a radio show was going to be a hobby for me. It was going to be geek therapy for me. And it's turned into a wonderful thing. And I've started, and it's not me personally, but the show has actually started to help people, which, which I love and I adore. And that's what I'm setting out to do. It's not just for a place for geeks to come together and spread information and teach each other. It's to help people connect with a hobby that actually does real good in their lives. On that note, that's the end of this segment. Uh, geektherapy at iheartmedia.com. Email me there. Geektherapy at iheartmedia.com. You can contact me anywhere and let me know what your geek thing or your hobby is or that you're looking for a hobby. What are your interests are? Let's get you connected. I'll give you some shout outs on the air, whatever you want. Let me know what you're a geek about and let's let's share that joy with each other. Uh, geek Therapy Radio on Facebook. Geek Therapy Radio on Instagram. da da do da do Just Google Geek Therapy Radio with Johnny Hamburger and you'll see me and you'll be able to connect with me. There's all sorts of ways. So let's do that. More Geek Therapy Radio coming up. Let's talk about solar panels because I'm geeking out hard about solar panels right now. Uh, my geek ways ebb and flow and right now I'm getting back into solar panels. Let's talk a little bit about E3 um, and specifically Just Cause 4. That's the coolest thing I've seen so far out of E3. There's been some hearsay about n- n- the next next generation of Xboxes and Playstations, PS5 and Xbox 2 and blah blah blah. But right now, Just Cause 4 has got my attention. So let's talk about solar panels and Just Cause 4. Coming up, more... Uh, Damn, I suck at outros. We'll be right back with more Geek Therapy Radio. Radio, Johnny Hamburger, Mental Curator. Quick note before we get into E3 and specifically um, Just Cause 4. Old listeners, well, I don't mean old listeners like you old, old people listeners. I welcome you. You're welcome to the show. You guys are just a wealth of knowledge for us young bucks. Anyway, so let me just say... uh, Veteran listeners to Geek Therapy Radio, and this is also a note for new listeners. You may have noticed that I have sponsors now, so let me tell you a little bit uh, about that um, and what I, how I plan to put the ads into the show. First of all, I'm making them as unintrusive as humanly possible. I don't want you to tune into the show and then be bombarded with ads. I know uh, Mark Marin does; he puts them all at the beginning. And so, but you never know where to skip ahead in the show to get past the ads. So, if you'll notice in my show, if you're listening to the podcast, I timestamp everything so you know where each segment starts. So, I will do my best to put ads into the show 
ethically and as unannoyingly as possible, but also serve my sponsors as best as possible because they're the ones who make the show possible. Um, and as far as who I choose for sponsors, I promise to be as ethical as humanly possible. I don't care really, well, I do care where a company has been. Every company that you deal with has had positive and negative uh, media, negative interaction. If you go to Yelp, you'll see some negative stuff. But I, I promise to keep companies that are at least always on the up and up, who have rectified any situation, um, who don't have any ongoing situations. Um, and if, if it's just too hot, then I won't take them. That that's a simple fact of the matter. Is if they're if it's a, if it's an unethical company, I'm not going to take them. For instance, you know, there's really nothing unec- unethical about vape shops or vaping. There's nothing unethical really. But I know a lot of kids listen to my show, a lot of young people, and just people to boot, young and old. And I don't really want to be promoting a product that the jury is still out as for as far as how bad it is. I don't want to be like promoting cigarettes basically and i'm not saying vaping is as bad as cigarettes at all but it's still just like you know there's so many vape shops in houston it'd be shooting fish in a barrel to bring vape sponsors onto the show but i'm just not gonna just not gonna do it um there there's some gray area there that i just i can't get behind because it's kind of like we think we probably think about vaping right now the way we thought about cigarettes in the 50s give your baby a cigarette it'll cure his cold so maybe that's where we're at with vaping right now, and I just don't want to be that guy who had all the who promoted all the vaping, and then it comes out next week. Vaping definitely, for sure, causes cancer. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to do that. I want to build my business, quote unquote, with reputable companies. And when I do my sponsor spots, they will be put in the show as unannoyingly as possible. Let's get on to E3 and Just Cause Four. Square Enix. I always find it funny that Square Enix makes Just Cause, the Just Cause series, because series, because they also make Kingdom Hearts and obviously Final Fantasy, um, and different other franchises. But Just Cause is so different than obviously it's different than Kingdom Hearts and Final Fantasy. Um, but Just Cause Four, they just released the trailer for the game at E3. It comes out December fourth. Just Cause Four comes out December fourth. And it looks really, really cool. I don't think it's going to be a quote-unquote game changer. Oh, see what I did there? But it looks really, really fun. I think it's going to add to the fun in the sandbox aspect that the game already is. The game is about a really, really, really wacky first uh, one-player mission. Uh, but what the game really is about is just blowing stuff up and creating chaos. It is just this free-range world for you to go around and create as much inventive havoc as humanly possible. So Just Cause 4 is sure to be more of that. They've addressed the issue, one of the main complaints for Just Cause 3, among a lot of glitches, especially if you played on the console. Um, it's not really a glitch, but consoles, even PS4 Pro and, and uh, uh the most powerful version, like the after the refresh of Xbox and PS4, uh, still during the active scenes, frame dips below 30, even frame dips below 20. 
So Just Cause 4 will hopefully remedy that. Um, one of the other complaints was that the world got repetitive. And it, that, which was kind of a funny notion to me to say that a game is repetitive. At what point did it become repetitive? Like, how many dozens of hours have you had, or hundreds of hours have you had in the game before you're like, eh, this is kind of repetitive. <laughs> you have, you have nine hundred hours into it, and at hour eight ninety nine, you're like, meh, this is boring. It's, it's, the world is just repeating. It's it's just repetitive over and over. Well, you know, that's one thing to say at three hours in. <laughs> saying it when you have like 1500 hours into it so I don't under- understand that com- I personally don't completely understand the repetitive complaint about Just Cause 3 but it doesn't matter the boys and girls at Square Enix say they are going to remedy that situation in Just Cause 4 there's a cool thing that you see in the preview of Just Cause 4 and it's a freaking tornado and Square Enix says that this is a completely uh, randomly generated tornado. It's a simulation. It's a it's it's randomly calculated physics based simulation, and all that means is that's going to require a lot of CPU horsepower, which is fine if you're on a big beefy gaming PC. You download Just Cause Four on December fourth on Steam, and you play around with that tornado. It should run fine if you have really beefy hardware get into the tornado scene and still have things running at at least 60 frames a second. But now I know what you're thinking, just like what I'm thinking. How in the Sam hell are they going to do that on a console that doesn't have the core count in the overhead that uh, a PC has? And by overhead, I meant, I meant that like in an audio term. Like... <sighs> There's headroom, that's what I mean. There's more headroom. The PC has more headroom horsepower to work with versus a console's, which is more finite. So, one of the things about this tornado in Just Cause 4 is that apparently Rico, the main character in Just Cause, is going to be able to manipulate it and use it to guide it over, you know, settlements and Emony, Emony, Emony reinforcements. And the enemy reinforcements will also have anti-tornado things. I know this sounds ridiculous, but it's a video game. That's what's so glorious about it. Um, anyways, how are consoles going to handle this? If the, if the complaint with Just Cause 3 is that, wow, sometimes it dips below 20 frames a second. When you have 100 vehicles and 300 ragdoll uh, enemies and civilians and whatever in bombs and in gas tanks and all sorts of things exploding and airplanes and things being procedurally generated and randomly calculated inside of a tornado real-time rendering that's gonna bring a p that's gonna bring a ps4 and xbox to its freaking knees so it's going to be interesting to see how they do that. Maybe during the tornado scenes, the resolution drops down to 360p. No, 144p <laughs> at 50 frames. And 20, no, they'll keep it 24 frames a second, 144p, and they're going to say cinematic tornado scenes. <laughs> I digress. Let's talk about solar panels next for a little bit. I'm Johnny Hamburger. We'll be right back with more Geek Therapy Radio. Welcome back to Geek Therapy Radio. I'm still Johnny Hamburger. That's still what it says on my underpants, but let me check real quick. JH, Johnny Hamburger, right there. 
on my undies. Let's talk about solar panels a little bit. I'm back into a bit of a solar panel kick. And by that, I mean I miss my solar panels. I mean, I still have them. They're in storage. But I'm in an apartment right now. And an apartment doesn't really lend itself to installing a lot of solar panels. But, because you can't access the roof usually and blah, blah, blah. Uh, so I had a 45-watt system that I used to keep a 12-volt deep cycle battery charged, and I used that to charge my laptop and my phones and run a little fan and a little light. That's what I used to use it for. But like I said, in an apartment, I don't, don't really have access to all that anymore. So I have ordered a quote-unquote 21-watt solar charger, solar panel phone charger thing off of Amazon, and we'll see how that works out. Uh, those are Chinese watts, so divide a Chinese watt by like three, and that's probably the output of the system, um, but I am still excited about that. What I plan to do with this, because it's going to be way more portable, it's a little three panel, it's three five watt panels, or three six watt panels, whatever, it's seven watt, it doesn't matter what they're rated at, it doesn't matter that it says 21 watts, um, but it should be enough to keep a USB power bank charged up. So my plan is to use this, let's just say, 20-watt solar panel array to keep a 10,000 milliamp hour power bank charged up through the day and then charge phones overnight or a tablet or something like that and then go to work the next day and when I come back, the power bank's charged up again, ready to keep my little gadgets and devices powered by the sun. That's the goal anyways, until I move into a house and I can just keep adding solar panels and one day I would love to be completely off grid and charge my little electric car, my Tesla, uh, completely solar. So I'm on a solar panel kick. I'm sure I'm going to have more to report about that next week. I'll let you know how the solar panels are working out, this little 20 watt thing. That's going to do it for Geek Therapy Radio. Go visit all the good stuff, Geek Therapy Radio, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, all that good stuff. Subscribe and become a fan of the, become a member of this community. Become a, a fan of the show. And I don't just mean fan because we're all just kind of a brother and sisterhood here. Like I say, I don't draw a line in the sand. There's too many politics and too many political shows that do that. I draw a circle in the sand. Let's come together in the circle, regardless of political affiliation, and celebrate our geek interests and hobbies. That's going to do it for Geek Therapy Radio this week. I'm Johnny Hamburger. I will see you all next week. Be good! Oh, go check out Planet X3 on Kickstarter. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.